afternoon and welcome to today's CME activity. There is no commercial support. The speaker and planners have disclosed no relevant financial relationships with any commercial interests. You will receive a SurveyMonkey link after today's activity. And if you're viewing online, we'll put the link into the chat section. And then if you're viewing after the fact, you can find the survey link in the description section of the video. It is my pleasure to introduce Dr. Ruben Ruiz Vega. He is proud to say he is a first-generation college graduate and the only physician in his family. He was born in Mexico, but came to the United States at the age of five. He grew up in a small rural town in Florida and attended the University of Florida, where he received his Bachelor of Science degree in Agricultural and Biological Engineering. Afterwards, Dr. Ruiz Vega returned to his home country to attend the Autonomous University of Guadalajara to obtain his medical degree. He is currently a third year internal medicine resident with aspiration to start a hematology and oncology fellowship this upcoming July. Join me in welcoming Dr. Ruiz Vega. Thank you, everyone. Um, so the title of my presentation today is called Circulating Tumor DNA and we're gonna be discussing the past, present, and future regarding ctDNA. Before we get started, I'd like to let you know that I have no financial disclosures with any of the presenters or commercial companies that I will be discussing in today's presentation. Before we get started, let's review some of the learning objectives I expect for you to understand after, after this presentation. The first part is to understand the concepts of ctDNA by being able to define what ctDNA is and its relevance in cancer research and diagnostics. We'll also be able to understand the clinical application of ctDNA and how ctDNA is utilized in cancer diagnosis, prognosis, treatment monitoring, and early detection, and also understand the potential impact on patient care. We'll also discuss some of the challenges and limitations in regards to ctDNA, specifically relating to sensitivity and specificity. And finally, we'll explore the role of personalized medicine using ctDNA and its potential for other medical applications. Before we get started, it's important to establish some foundations and definitions that you may encounter during this presentation and may facilitate the understanding of the topics we'll be discussing today. First, let's start talking about the two types of biopsy you may or may not be familiar with. The first type of biopsy is your standard tissue biopsy. This is a tissue biopsy that you're probably used to ordering or having the radiologist obtain, and it's simply just tissue matter that's obtained from the body or from the bone marrow. This is a solid material that is removed or excised from the body and sent for testing. The primary goal of this presentation will be focused on a different type of biopsy called liquid biopsy. Liquid biopsy is just that, a collection of fluid sample that can be obtained from blood, urine, CSF, saliva, or pleural fluid. When we talk about risks and benefits of tissue biopsy versus liquid biopsy, the standard risk occur during tissue biopsy collection, which could include infection, internal bleeding, or prolonged recovery time. In contrast, liquid biopsy is usually obtained by a simple swab from the mouth, a lumbar puncture for a CSF, a thoracentesis for pleural fluid, a urine sample in a clinic, or a peripheral blood draw. So as you can see, for the most part, liquid biopsy is less invasive and easier to obtain. 
The next definition I want you to be familiar with is the term or terms minimal molecular and measurable residual disease. This is all just simply the, the remaining amount of cells that are left in the body after the patient either receives surgical intervention or treatment for the intended cancer uh, that is being treated. This can be detected by various methods and is used in guiding either assessing whether there's risk for recurrence or need for additional therapy. The next definition I want you to be familiar with is termed next generation sequencing. So next generation sequencing is just a modern sequencing methodology that allows scientists to, uh, to sequence DNA very efficiently by reading multiple smaller sections of DNA simultaneously. This technique allows the entire genome to be sequenced within one day. The three billion base pairs that comprise an entire human genome are also analyzed multiple times improving the accuracy of the data generated. The data collected is then compared to a reference human genome that was developed by scientists. The reference genome is made up of contributions from many different people's DNA and provides a good representation of the average base pair composition of the human gen genome. Next generation sequencing is used to guide cancer treatment by identifying specific mutations or errors in the genes that cause cancer to grow and ident identifying potential therapies to which the tumor may be sensitive. Knowing the genetic details of the tumor is incredibly beneficial to oncologists to help them understand the behavior of cancer and to aid in therapeutic decisions making in order to provide personalized treatment plan. The image here shows the differences between the traditional Sanger sequences, sequencing versus next generation sequencing. The critical difference between the Sanger method and next generation sequencing is volume. While the Sanger method only sequences a single DNA fragment at a time, next generation sequencing uh, sequences millions of fragments simultaneously. This process translates into sequencing hundreds of thousands of genes at a time. And finally, the biggest definition we'll be, uh, we'll be going over today is circulating tumor DNA. Just like normal cells, cancer cells are also composed of genetic material localized inside. Similarly to normal cells, tumor cells undergo necrosis and apoptosis, and during this time, they release their genetic material into circulation. Measurement of ctDNA is what we refer to as liquid biopsy. You're probably wondering how do we differentiate normal ctDNA from uh, ctDNA from cells in comparison to tumor ctDNA, and this is being allowed by uh, looking at specific point mutations, aneuploidy or gene copy number changes, different patterns of methylation, or the presence of viral DNA sequences. Another unique thing about ctDNA is the half-life. Tumor ctDNA has a short half-life and usually ranges between 16 minutes to 2.5 hours, which is a lot shorter than normal cells' DNA. These differences, uh, these different mutations are usually detected by PCR or DNA and allows, uh, allowing ctDNA to be exploited as a potential new circulating biomarker for cancer diagnosis and treatment. Another term you will hear is the difference between tumor-informed versus tumor-naive. The upper portion of this image shows you what is called tumor-informed. 
meaning the, the sequencing or errors detected from the patient's profile is obtained from the tumor itself. As you can see, a needle is placed directly into the tumor source, is extracted and sequenced uh, to obtain what mutations or targetable mutations are in the tumor itself. Today, we'll be talking about the lower portion of this image, which is tumor naive, meaning we're collecting either samples directly from a blood, peripheral blood and observing it, sending it to the lab, and also tracking it for uh, mutations and targetable actions that can be used instead of the tumor or comparing it to the standard therapy, which is using tumor profiling as a standard method. CTDNA has come a long way. It was first diagnosed as 1948 in, in normal blood. It wasn't until April 2014 that it, CTDNA was used in clinical practice. And today, CTDNA continues to evolve and continues to make changes in the field of hematology and oncology. The table here lists a tumor, uh, list, uh, has a list of tumor markers that are in common in use. These are the ones you're probably familiar with for the most part in ordering to kind of detect uh, either cancer in the blood from patients who are suspected of having some form of uh, tumor or malignancy. In comparison, table two demonstrates how CTDNA can detect the presence of therapeutic actionable mutation genes that can be used up front to identify patients likely to benefit from specific therapies. Similarly, CTDNA can, can be used to identify mechanisms of acquired resistance to ongoing therapy, which in some situations may be helpful in planning further lines of therapy. In contrast to the prior image, the standard circulating protein biomarkers are of little use in therapy prediction or identifying mechanisms of therapy resistance. The image here demonstrates, which is not all inclusive, some of the current um, companies that are out there in practice who are utilizing CTDNA in their, as, a, as a method of improving and furthering the field of hematology and oncology. Some of the big ones that you may be familiar include Natera, Invitae, Foundation One, Keras Life Sciences, and Gardent. So now that we have established a baseline, a baseline regarding liquid biopsy, molecular residual disease, CTDNA, and targetable mutations, let's discuss how the clinical application of CTDNA in current literature is in current literature today. If time permits, I will be discussing the utilization of CTDNA in three trials relating to colon, lung, and breast cancer. The first trial that I will be speaking about is called the Dynamic Trial. This trial was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, and it looked, the goal of the trial was to assess whether CTDNA had a role in assessing which patients, particularly those with stage two colon cancer, benefited from additional adjuvant uh, chemotherapy post-surgical resection. A little bit of background information regarding colon cancer. As you see in the table below, surgery plays a big role in treatment of colon cancer. Most patients, about approximately 70-80%, achieve curative intent after surgical resection. This is more common and most true in patients with either stage 0 or stage 1 um, colon cancer. However, similarly, patients beyond stage 3 usually undergo adjuvant chemotherapy based on standard uh, guidelines now. 
the, the, the group of patients this study particularly focused was in the stage two colon cancer, meaning these patients are in the intermediate range, whether we don't know if surgery alone is enough to uh, prevent disease recurrence or if patients should benefit from additional chemotherapy after surgical resection. As I mentioned, the standard of care for non-metastatic colon cancer is either surgery with or without up to six months of adjuvant chemotherapy. However, current guidelines and studies have shown that there's no overall survival benefit observed in, those, in trials of adjuvant therapy. Right now, guidelines recommend that adjuvant chemotherapy be used for patients who have stage two colon cancer and also in addition with features defined as high-risk clinical pathological findings. This raises a current dilemma because the current definition of high risk are inadequate, meaning many patients who have cancer with high risk features do not have disease recurrence, whereas some with disease that is deemed low risk do. Not only that, but survival benefit granted by adjuvant chemotherapy remains modest at less than 5%, even when, select, even when patients with high risk, high risk disease are selectively treated. Therefore, many patients are exposed to unnecessary chemotherapy and subsequent side effects from chemotherapy itself. So the dynamic trial was a phase two multi-center, a randomized controlled trial of biomarker-driven adjuvant, adjuvant therapy. The goal was to assess whether CTDNA-guided approach could reduce the use of adjuvant chemotherapy without compromising risk, recurrent, recurrence risk. Patients with stage two colon cancer were randomly assigned in a two to one ratio to have treatment decisions guided by CTDNA results versus the standard clinical pathological features that are in place today. For the CTDNA guided management, CTDNA positive results at either four or seven weeks after surgery prompted these patients to receive either oxaplatin based or fluoropyrimidine based chemotherapy. In contrast, CTDNA negative patients were not treated at all. The primary efficacy and endpoint was recurrence-free survival at two years, and a secondary key endpoint was the use of adjuvant chemotherapy. The image here kind of just gives you an overall breakdown of the patients allocated to each of the treatment arms. In the standard management on the right side, 153 patients were assigned to this arm and patients who were deemed to have clinical pathological features on their tumor or cores, clinical cores were assigned to receive treatment, whereas the CTDNA guided group, only those with positive CTDNA results from peripheral blood were assessed to receive additional therapy. There were some exclusion criteria for, the, uh, for patients to be eligible for the trial. Any patient with evidence of metastatic disease on CT abdomen of the chest, abdomen, and pelvis performed within eight weeks prior to enrollment were excluded. Patients with a history of another primary cancer within the previous three years were also excluded. The presence of a synchronous primary colorectal cancer or treatment with neoadjuvant chemotherapy, meaning before surgical resection, were also excluded. So the flow diagram here shows that they registered 459 patients to the trial between August 10th of 2015 and August 2nd in 2019 at multiple, at 23 Australian centers. 
However, out of the 459, only 455 were randomized in a two-to-one ratio to either the CTDNA-guided approach versus the standard management. And again, the numbers were 302 to the CTDNA and 153 to the standard management. Table one shows the baseline characteristics between the two groups were generally balanced between the two. The median age of the patient was 64. However, a higher percentage of patients in the CTDNA-guided group than in the standard management group had tumors localized on the right side. The next highlighted section demonstrates the characteristics used to define patients having high-risk disease. This was defined as having one or more clinical pathological risk features, including T4 stage, poor tumor differentiation, lymph node yield, lymphovascular invasion, tumor perforation, or bowel obstruction. Table two shows a summary of the treatment delivered and adherence in both uh, trial groups. A lower percentage of patients in the CTDNA-guided group than in the standard management group received adjuvant chemotherapy, 15% versus 28%. Among those who received adjuvant chemotherapy, an oxaplatin-based doublet was administered to a higher percentage of patients in the CTDNA-guided group than in the standard group. This was based on data suggesting, prior data suggesting that uh, a benefit from an oxaplatin-based therapy in patients with high-risk stage two colon cancer. The median time to start, to start a treatment after surgery was longer in the CTDNA-guided group than in the standard management group by a difference of almost 30 days. 83 days in the, in the CTDNA-guided group versus 53 days in the CTDNA-guided group. This was, I'm sorry, 83 in the CTDNA and 53 in the standard. This difference was primarily driven by the wait times for the CTDNA results to come back uh, for, from testing. However, it's important to know that no patients had disease recurrence during this waiting period. As I mentioned in the previous slide, a lower percentage of patients in the CTDNA guided group than in the standard group received adjuvant chemotherapy, 15% versus 28%. This difference was observed across almost all patient subgroups with the exception of patients with a lymph node yield of less than 12 and patients older than the age of 70. The most notable difference was seen among patients with T4 or poorly differentiated tumors. For patients with high-risk clinical pathological features, the likelihood of receiving adjuvant chemotherapy was noted to be two times as high in the standard management group as in the CTDNA guided group. So discussing the results of this trial, the CT, a CTDNA guided approach reduced the number of patients who received adjuvant therapy and did not alter the risk of rec recurrence. CTDNA positive patients appeared to derive considerable benefit from adjuvant therapy given the low percentage of patients with recurrence in this trial as compared with previously reported high recurrence rates in this subgroup of patients when no adjuvant chemotherapy was administered. Percentage of patients with recurrence within three years among the CTDNA positive patient in the current trial was only 14%. The trial confirmed a very low risk of recurrence in untreated patients who were CTDNA negative with a three-year recurrence-free survival of 
Most notably was the three-year recurrence-free survival of 96.7% among patients with low-risk disease, indicating that adjuvant, chemo adjuvant therapy should not be considered for CT-DNA-negative patients who are clinical pathological low-risk. This is an important observation because in cl routine clinical practice, adjuvant chemotherapy is still admin administered to some patients at low risk, and particularly those patients of younger age. There were some limitations and questions regarding the trial. One, the trial was too small to provide definite findings for patient subgroups. Because management decisions were guided by test results, the patients in the CTDNA positive and CTDNA negative subgroups were not randomly assigned to either receive or not receive treatment. The effects of CTDNA-guided strategy was, not, was also not assessed beyond the initial decision of adjuvant chemotherapy. In conclusion, among the patients with stage two colon cancer, the CTDNA-guided management was non-inferior to standard management with respect to two-year recurrence-free survival and resulted in reduced use of adjuvant therapy without compromising recurrence-free survival. The bottom image on the right shows you that a lower percentage of patients in the CTDNA-guided approach received less chemotherapy in comparison to the standard management group. The next trial I'd like to discuss is called the ACCELERATE trial. The ACCELERATE trial explores the clinical utility of using CTDNA genotyping to expedite diagnosis and treatment of lung cancer versus standard management. So this trial was looking more in particularly about timing and particularly in patients with advanced non-small cell lung cancer. So the first one was on breast and assessing whether adjuvant chemotherapy was needed based on CTDA results. And this trial will focus on whether utilizing CTDNA versus as a, for targetable mutations sped up the time patients um, were sent to, for treatment versus waiting on tissue biopsy and tissue results to guide management. Current guidelines recommend that newly diagnosed non-small cell cancer uh, requires uh, that tumor molecular alterations be obtained so that they can help guide the current uh, treatment decisions. This is currently the standard, the standard method where patients are biopsied, the tumor is sent for sequencing, and based on those results, the clinician then makes the choice for treatment. However, this sets a major barrier to personalizing cancer treatment, and at times, having access to targeted, tar targeted therapies is either incomplete or delayed uh, due to the time it takes for tumor tissue genotyping to occur. It's not uncommon for patients to not have these results readily available by the time they reach their oncology consultation, which raises a question and prolongs and leads to either prolonged wait times, worse outcomes, or at times having to default to certain standard chemotherapies. The pie graph you see here lists nine oncodriver genes that have been found to carry targetable mutations, and particularly for non-small cell lung cancer. Therapies targeting these mutations include small molecule tyrosine kinase inhibitors, monoclonal antibodies, and antibody drug conjugates. Studies have also shown to date that the use of CTDNA has shown to be non-inferior to molecular genotyping of tumor tissue in advanced non-small cell lung cancer. Also, CTDNA testing has shown clinical utility as a complementary tool 
in patients with non-small cell lung cancer for their diagnosis. However, it's unclear how do we integrate ctDNA testing liquid biopsy into the diagnostic algorithm for patients with newly diagnosed advanced non-small cell lung cancer. So as I mentioned previously, the Accelerate trial was assessed whether there was any clinical utility of using ctDNA genotyping to expedite diagnosis treatment of cancer patients versus the standard biopsy alone. The Accelerate trial was a single group non-randomized clinical trial conducted among 150 patients at the Princess Margaret Cancer Center at the University Health Network in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, between July, 2020, July 2021 and November 2022. Patients, um, there were patients needed to have radiological evidence of unresectable stage three or stage four lung cancer to be eligible for the trial. Patients also had to have measurable disease with greater than one centimeter detected on CT DNA. And finally, patients either had to have planned diagnostic tissue biopsy or already performed, but without already having a diagnosis of non-small cell lung cancer. This flow diagram shows that out of the 150 patients enrolled into CT DNA testing, only 53 patients were found to have actionable alterations detected on biopsy. On biopsy. Out, of this 50, out of the 53 patients, 35 patients had mutations detected in both the plasma and the tissue, uh, at tissue biopsy. Seven patients only had actionable mutations detected on tissue, on tissue alone, and 11 patients had actionable mutations detected in plasma alone. The remaining patients were excluded for the trial for various other reasons or found to not have non-small cell lung cancer at all. The table here shows the demographic and disease characteristics between the accelerate and the standard groups. A reference cohort of 89 patients with advanced non-small cell lung cancer and also treated at the Princess Margaret Cancer Center prior to the COVID-19 pandemic between 2018 and 2019 was used as the reference population to compare to the accelerate group. The table ultimately shows that the characteristics of the reference groups were similar between the accelerate and the standard population. The results of this accelerate trial showed that the median time to treatment was 39 days for the accelerate cohort versus 62 days in the reference population. Among the accelerate population, Median turnaround time from sample collection to genotyping results was only seven days in comparison to 23 days in the tissue biopsy next generation sequencing. So as you can see, not only did patients achieve treatment times faster, but they also received the results for their actionable mutations at much faster than the standard therapy and current guidelines that are in place today. There were some limitations to the trial 70% of patients had biopsy-proven advanced non-small cell lung cancer, while 30% had other diagnoses or no malignant neoplasms, which reinforced the continued need for tissue biopsy. This was a single group prospective design study conducted at a single institution only. The plasma ctDNA-based next-generation sequencing was noted to have lower sensitivity than the tissue-based uh, sequencing. This was suspected to be due to the low levels of ctDNA available for analysis, limiting the sensitivity for detection of fusion 
and making it challenging in assessment of what the number of variation copies. The authors also noted that the results of the study may have been subject to the Hawthorne effect and were and potentially could have been affected during the COVID-19 pandemic when the trial was conducted. A final limitation was cost as a potential barrier for limiting its implementation. However, the authors did not explain in detail whether there was a, fine, a value or a dollar amount that could have been a, a barrier for implementation of the study. So in conclusion, the use of liquid biopsy before lung cancer diagnosis and the initial diagnostic workup of patients with suspected advanced non-small cell lung cancer shortened time to intervention and molecular results and yielded a higher rate of detection of actionable alterations. Patients were able to access targeted therapy earlier in comparison to the reference standard tissue approach. This results indicate that complementing standard tissue testing with plasma testing before diagnosis could increase access to precision medicine and may improve patient outcomes overall. Finally, the trial gave a kind of a recommendations on what they believe may be of use for future studies or for implementation into clinical practice. The table shows on the left what we see now as the current, met, the current approach in practice. Patients usually are start treatment at approximately week five or week six, week six after their, um, their tissue results, and we have actionable mutations to start treatment. In comparison on the right, you can see that they have different approaches for utilizing plasma or liquid biopsy at the time of uh, initial diagnosis to speed up treatment times. And you can see that most patients are usually able to either start or be ready to start treatment at week two or week three. And again, the study noted that liquid biopsy or ctDNA biopsy should not be used alone, but in conjunction, whereas some patients on tumor biopsy were found to either not have non-small cell lung cancer or had a different malignancy of itself. Finally, the last trial I'm going to be talking about is called the C-TRAC-TN trial. The C-TRAC-TN trial looked at a particular group of patients with moderate and high-risk end-stage triple, ne triple negative breast cancer. As we know, these patients are at higher risk of relapse and poor prognosis. So the role of this trial was to assess whether CTDNA could be utilized to assess whether this particular group of patients could benefit from additional therapies um, to help reduce, uh, improve disease survival, or also minimum, uh, minimum, detect minimal residual disease and assess whether using pembrolizumab, also known as Keytruda, could help minimize this, any detectable minimal residual disease and overall prognosis. Currently, current standard guidelines are recent, in recent trials have shown that neoadjuvant chemotherapy reduces the risk of relapse and enables downstaging to reduce extent of surgery. In addition, addition of carboplatin to neoadjuvant chemotherapy helps improve the rates of pathological complete response and disease-free survival. This was based on a prior study note called the Keynote 355 trial that showed that, that the addition of pembrolizumab to carboplatin-containing regimen further improved pathological response rates and disease-free survival. However, the challenge now is to develop new methods to identify patients who remain at high risk of relapse after treatment completion and who may benefit from additional therapy. 
Studies have also shown that the, detect that the detection of ctDNA post-completion of early, early stage breast cancer is associated with higher risk of relapse, meaning if ctDNA is detected in patients who have completed therapy, they have a higher probability of having relapse either early or down the road. It's also important to know that imaging is generally not included in follow-up post-breast cancer treatment due to historical studies noting limited improvement in survival with imaging. So the C-TRAC trial was a first perspective study to assess whether ctDNA assays have clinical utility in guiding further therapy for patients with triple negative breast cancer. The C-TRAC trial was a multi-center phase two randomized trial utilizing ctDNA mutations mutation tracking to detect minimal residual disease and trigger interventions in patients with moderate and high-risk early-stage triple negative breast cancer between January 2018 and December 6 of 2019. The study was divided in two, two parts. The first part was to see, uh, to, and the, was, the first part was ctDNA surveillance, meaning that patients have positive ctDNA results during this time frame. The second part took the patients with positive ctDNA results and they were either enrolled to receive pembrolizumab or observation alone. In the ctDNA, uh, ctDNA surveillance um, period, blood samples were collected every three months for a period of 12 months. As this study occurred during the COVID-19 pandemic and patients were prone to miss uh, blood collections, those patients, their time frame was expanded to 18 months to kind of supplement the missed time frame. Patients who were found to be ctDNA positive were randomized in a two to one in a, uh, rate, in a two to one ratio to either intervention or observation. It was important to know that those in the observation group were blinded initially, both the patient and the providers, to the results of having ctDNA positive uh, results only the patients allocated to the treatment arm were notified of their positive ctDNA results so that they could be given the opportunity to decide whether they would choose to receive additional treatment with pembrolizumab. Keytruda, or pembrolizumab, was given uh, 200 milligrams every three weeks for one year or until disease recurrence. So just to kind of summarize, as I mentioned, the first part was to assess whether they have ctDNA positive results. The second part, patients were allocated in a two-to-one ratio to either the, CTD, uh, the, the treatment arm versus observation. Patients in the observation were blinded to, um, they still provided samples of their blood and were blinded of the results if they were ctDNA positive or negative and were just observed to see what would happen. However, a protocol amendment occurred during the study due to overall poor prognosis in the observation group and an amendment was made that any, pos any patient in the observation arm found to have positive ctDNA results were transitioned to intervention and a lot notified of their positive results and given the opportunity to decide if they would like to proceed with treat additional treatment. So the study had two primary objectives. The first one was to assess whether ctDNA assays could predict which patients were at high risk of relapse by identifying patients with molecular residual disease not visible on imaging and to assess whether pembrolizumab results in a sustained clearance of ctDNA in patients who completed treatment for moderate or high risk early stage triple negative breast cancer. 
the primary endpoints for this study was ctDNA detection rate by either 12 or 24 months and sustained ctDNA clearance rate in the absence of disease recurrence at six months after starting pembrolizumab. The flow diagram here shows that 208 patients were registered between January 30th of 2018 and December 6th of 2019. 161 of those 208 patients entered the ctDNA surveillance period. However, only 45 patients entered the therapeutic com component, 13 into observation, and 32 to potential treatment with pembrolizumab. Of the patients allocated to intervention, 23 had, uh, were detected to have metas metas uh, metastasis on staging at time of ctDNA positive results, and four patients declined pembrolizumab. Ultimately, only five patients commenced pembrolizumab treatment after they were given the option to start. Table one demonstrates the baseline clinical and pathological characteristics of the initial 161 patients enrolled into ctDNA surveillance. The Kaplan-Meier curve on, on the left, figure A, shows the estimates, the estimates of ctDNA detection rate at 12 months was approximately 26% for all the patients in the study. In comparison, 55% in patients with high risk as demonstrated in the blue curve and 11.8% in patients with moderate risk disease. Figure four demonstrates the ctDNA detection in the observation group alone. In this population, the median time from ctDNA detection to recurrence demonstrated by the X's was approximately four months. So as you can see in the observation group, approximately at four months, patients were noted to have recurrence of their disease. This is why they decided to do an amendment and any further patients with positive ctDNA results were transferred over to the treatment arm because of the poor overall outcome they were showing to have. Out of the five patients that commenced pembrolizumab treatment, none achieved ctDNA clearance at six months and all patients subsequently relapsed. Uniquely, only one patient demonstrated possible evidence of pembrolizumab activity with ctDNA falling while on treatment as demonstrated by the purple line. In conclusion, the C-TRAC trial is the first prospective study to assess whether ctDNA assays have clinical utility in guiding therapy in triple negative breast cancer. Patients with ctDNA detection had high rates of metastatic disease. These findings have clinical implications for future trial design, emphasizing the importance of commencing ctDNA testing early with more sensitivity and or frequent ctDNA testing regimens. Finally, we discussed the past, the, past, uh, uh, the past process of ctDNA. We discussed the present uh, analysis and what's been done in ctDNA. Let's discuss what the future of DNA holds. The image here shows the clinical applications of ctDNA. ctDNA has a future to be used in response to neoadjuvant therapy, meaning to assessing which patients may benefit from prior uh, chemotherapy even prior to the intended surgical intervention or, surgical or primary, primary therapy. ctDNA also has the possibility to be used in detecting minimal residual disease. And just to remember that minimal residual disease is any, minimal, any cells that are remaining after the primary intent or treatment is completed. 
CTDNA also has the possibility to be used in recurrence monitoring after adjuvant chemotherapy is uh, completed. And finally, CTDNA has a role in detecting treatment response and to assess patients who are higher risk of relapsing after completing all therapies they were initially assigned. This image, this image demonstrates the work of other trials in utilizing CTDNA to predict relapse with an overall positive predictive value of more than 98%. As you can see, studies in JAMA, clinical cancer, Frontiers in Oncology, the Journal of Clinical Oncology have also utilized CTDNA in colon cancer, breast cancer, lung cancer, and bladder cancer. These studies show that, this, that utilizing CTDNA had a very high specificity and I would say a moderate, bit, a moderate sensitivity ranging greater than 88% and up to 100% in some studies. Although I'm a big fan of CTDNA, it's not perfect. There are challenges and limitations of utilizing CTDNA. As with any test, there are the possibility of developing false positive and negative results. Studies have also shown variation between either high specificity and sometimes just a moderate sensitivity, as previously shown in the image. Also, testing is limited by the availability of an adequate amount of CTDNA, in particularly in early stages of cancer. As you saw in one of the trials, the sensitivity was poor as they suspected that there was low CTDNA available in the plasma to detect variable mutations of the tumor itself. However, another issue that we face is turnaround time for results. As you saw in the initial trial, there was a delayed in CTDNA results in the in CTDNA results, meaning that there was they it took longer for those results to come back in one of the trials versus in the accelerate trial, it sped up treatment of patients. So there's still variability in how fast or how delayed results from CTDNA uh, are obtained. Finally, another issue is availability of CTDNA assays. Currently, we don't have assays for all, all cancer types. The big ones that are currently in development are you saw is breast, colon, lung, bladder, because those are some of the big cancers that we have, deal with are most common. However, we don't have other assays for smaller or less common uh, cancers at this time. Another issue we face is cutoff value. So what does it mean when we detect CTDNA in the blood? What does this value give us? What threshold do we reach to consider patients having higher risk of relapse or higher risk or, or optimal therapy um, uh, treatment achievement? Meaning if their CTDNA results downtrend, at what level do we say these patients are free or are less likely to have disease recurrence? Another issue we face is the units of measurements for quantifying mutations in CTDNA. Currently, there are two measurements used in practice. One is the ratio of mutant to wild type copies, also known as the variant allele frequency. And the second one is the number of mutant, uh, mutant molecules per ml of plasma. So we haven't standardized it, and it's important to know that some studies use one um, measure, unit of measurement versus other studies use another. However, and finally, I think the biggest uh, limitation or challenge is financial responsibility to patients. I couldn't find in the literature a set value or dollar value that would uh, kind of give me a representation of what CTDNA testing costs 
but I just saw that it could vary between hundreds to thousands of dollars, and it's all dependent on the patient's insurance and insurance coverage. Finally, but let's discuss future, uh, other future options of ctDNA. As I mentioned, ctDNA has a role in early cancer detection and monitoring. Advances in ctDNA analysis may lead to even earlier detection of cancer and more sens sensitive monitoring of treatment response, allowing for timely intervention and personalized treatment plans. ctDNA also has a future role in prognostic, as a prognostic biomarker. CTDNA may become a reliable prognostic tool helping clinicians predict disease progression, recurrence, and patient outcomes based on the genetic information obtained from liquid biopsies. CTDNA also has a future role in minimal residual disease monitoring after surgery or treatment by providing valuable insights into the risk of recurrence. CTDNA can also be used to monitor treatment resistance by tracking mutations during cancer treatment and enabling clinicians proper time to make therapeutic adjustments if necessary. CTDNA has a future, go a future role of being part of a multi-cancer screening regimen. Advances in technology may facilitate the development of CTDNA-based multi-cancer screening tests, allowing for the simultaneous detection of various cancer types from a single blood sample. And finally, ctDNA liquid biopsy has a role in routine clinical practice, which is primarily has a future role for the general practitioner or internist. With ongoing advancements, ctDNA analysis could become a routine part of cancer diagnostics and monitoring, offering a less invasive alternative to the traditional tissue biopsies that are currently in place. And with that, I give you my references. I'd like to thank Dr. Andrew Johnson, my mentor, who's an oncologist at the Longstreet Clinic. And with that, I will close it for questions and answers. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you're viewing online and have a question, just enter it in the Q&A chat and we'll ask um, our speaker. Any questions or comments in the room? Uh, you mentioned that um, certain tumor types or cancers are not as well detected by circulating tumor DNA, and then the ones presented obviously are a little bit better, but which ones might not be as uh, easy to identify, and how does that play out in a clinical setting? Um, I don't know, like, specifically which might be harder. I know that uh, for now, ctDNA plays a big role, for example, in leukemias, just because most of the leukemias are liquid-based and they have a higher sensitivity, but they're expanding it to use it more for solid tumors. Uh, it was originally kind of established for leukemias, it's particularly like multiple myeloma, um, patients who receive bone marrow transplants to kind of detect was, was there any residual disease left after bone marrow biopsy. Um, but I don't have a particular type of tumor that I saw was difficult to formulate. I didn't look that up in particular. I just know that the common ones that are that CTDNA is utilized is for breast, lung, and uh, colon cancer. So. All right. Thank you, Dr. Ruiz Vega. Thank Great you. presentation. Thank you.